0: You're you're, you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
1: Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I
0: said. 103.9 FM, L.I. News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch
2: with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, a new show. Of the Weekend Crouch, I am the host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. This weather here in Long Island, New York, is absolutely Horrible. You go from 70 degree weather on Wednesday or Tuesday all the way into this Saturday today where it's rainy, snowy, sleety disgusting out, and it's going to shoot down to the 20s. It's not Alaska, okay? We're not in, in one of those places where six months in a year it's dark and snowy and disgusting, and the other six months you have to deal with the sun every single day without getting dark. So, it's not like that, but the weather out here absolutely makes no sense tonight. Change of the clocks. We will be losing another hour, so that means spring's around the corner, that means summer's around the corner. I know a lot of people love the summer. I can't stand the summer. It's too hot, it's too humid, it's too disgusting. I do like this weather. Most of the time, when it's snowing, it's sleety, and it's bad to drive in, I'm not a fan of it. But we have a great show lined up for you guys tonight. We will be talking to Mile High Huddle Broncos analyst and draft scout Lance Sanderson. We'll get into the whole Russell Wilson trade. Russell Wilson is heading to the Broncos. The AFC getting another star quarterback, arguably the best division in all of football. We will have Chaz and the crew, Moneyline Media joining us. They, again, knock it down with their picks last week. Money West is absolutely wonderful. Chaz is, is successful at what he does. Moneyline Mania is definitely a segment if you're a betting man, if you're a sports fan to listen to when it comes to how to make the right picks, the right parlays. Listen to these guys. These guys are handicappers on the top of their game. Some of the best handicappers in the country. So we will get into the Khalil Mack trade as the Chargers land their superstar pass rusher. Not like they don't have one in Joey Bosa, but this team is stacked now. I think the his defense is definitely amongst the league's best now. I expect him to have a good year with Justin Herbert in his third year. The talent that they have all across the board. Aaron Rodgers has a new contract. I know he came out yesterday and said there was nothing agreed upon when it came to the contract. It doesn't make any sense. First, he agrees upon $50 million a year as he's the highest paid player in NFL history, making about $200 million in the next four years. And then he comes out and says, there's no agreement. He will be back next year and he is very excited. All we know is Aaron Rodgers will be back as a Packer now next year. We will get into the baseball strike or lockout, which is now over, and we will get to all the new rules and stipulations to the league. The Yankees and the Mets have went down to Florida and now are doing pitchers and catchers. Max Scherzer was heading down there yesterday, as of Aaron Judge and some of the Yankees, they're down there as well. So baseball is right around the corner, I'm sure. A lot of baseball fans, definitely fantasy fans, are interested to see what happens moving forward with some of the free agents that are still available. We'll get into the NBA as the Nets and the 76ers played their first game with James Harden as a 76er and how the Nets completely tortured that 76er team. Now everybody thinks the 76ers don't have a chance against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irvin in that Brooklyn Nets team. I beg to differ, even though it was one really bad game by James Harden. We'll get into the Knicks saga, uh, where the Knicks go in the offseason, because they're not making the playoffs. And they lost a, a game last night. They should have won against Memphis. They were outplaying Memphis throughout the game in the last five minutes of the game. As always, they choke. Thank you, Julius Randle. We'll get into some hot high- Hockey. The Islanders win again yesterday. Does that make them a playoff contender? The answer is no. I think that the Islanders are going to be sellers at the trade deadline next week, and the Rangers will be buyers. And a March, Madness right around the corner. We'll get into that as well. Yep, brackets tomorrow. Here we come. Absolutely, as the Duke Blue Devils did lose against North Carolina in Coach K's final home game. I expect Duke to play very good going into this tournament, and hopefully, even with the lack of rebounding and a lack of defense that they have this year, they still can compete against the country's. Best ACC championship right after our show tonight against Virginia Tech. They should be Virginia, they should, yes. But, anyways, let's get into some football conversation. A lot to talk about. We were talking about. Wherever Aaron Rodgers lands, a lot of things are going to just completely move, and I expected things to happen very, very fast with the Russell Wilson story with the Deshaun Watson. And by the way, Deshaun Watson is not going to be charged for any criminal charges, so what does that mean? A lot of teams will probably go after him sometime around the draft because he will be available and he's not going to jail, so that's a good sign. So If I was a team like Pittsburgh or some of the other top-end teams, I would definitely take a. Look at Deshaun Watson, even though he's been out of football for two years. But Aaron Rodgers, he was the guy. It, it was up to the Broncos to make a move for him. Obviously, they brought Nathaniel Hackett over there uh, to the Broncos, and everybody thought, hey, Nathaniel Hackett's going to the Broncos, so why not Aaron Rodgers? It makes a lot of sense. There were stories coming out that Aaron Rodgers was going to resign. They're just negotiating a contract, and the Packers announced that he would sign the largest. NFL contract in NFL history that was $50 million, get 135 guaranteed, like he needs the money, but he's going to be the highest paid quarterback in the league. As soon as that happened, within hours, there was a story coming out from the Broncos organization that they're almost done with the trade that would send Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. Now, this wasn't... Something that I was surprised about. I knew the Broncos were gunning for a star quarterback, but new ownership coming in. The GM needed to make a splash. They needed to get a guy that was going to be able to play with with some of the young wide receivers, make everybody better. They drafted a great young running back last year, Williams from North Carolina. Everybody thought that this team was ready to win. But then when you hear the trade, and we're going to have Lance Sanderson, the Broncos writer. He does a podcast over there in Denver. He will be joining us a little bit later in the show. And I'm sure he has his own thoughts to it. And I'm sure he thinks that this was a great trade. But to me, they gave up a lot for a guy like Russell Wilson. Now. Russell Wilson's still 33. He has five good years left. I think he has a tremendous amount of talent. He makes everybody around him better. We've seen what he did with Seattle. He's been to two Super Bowls. He's won one. He was an MVP candidate almost every single year since the Super Bowl. The guy's been a fantastic quarterback and a successful quarterback in the league. But last year, he broke his finger. He was out a significant amount of time. He came back. He wasn't the same Russell Wilson. He is a great pocket-present quarterback, but he's also very good with his legs. And as he gets older, the running ability might go out very, very quick. But being that he's 33 years old, to give up two first rounds, two second rounds, a fifth, Noah Font, Shelby Harris, that played very, very well with the Broncos last year, got an extended contract worth about $27 million in the offseason. Drew Locke was a part of that trade, too. Drew Locke is just an add-on. He might start. It might be Geno Smith going Into this draft year, trading Russell Wilson, you're a rebuilding team. So trade DK Metcalf. They drop Bobby Wagner, first time Bobby Wagner, in his illustrious career, and a Hall of Fame career, that he is going to be a free agent. He was a pro ball player last year. I'm sure a lot of teams will be lining up for a star linebacker, even though he's 31, 32 years old. But this is a rebuilding year, and it's quite a few quarterbacks coming out of next year's draft class that really stand out. Seattle, if I was them, I would trade away pieces. This is Pete Carroll's last year. Let him have his last hurrah with a young team and a rebuilding team, and then Schneider, Pete Carroll, they find themselves new jobs or they retire. You bring in a new GM and a new coach with a new quarterback. And in Venera for Seattle,
3: they went pretty strong this whole decade. Won a Super Bowl, made the playoffs all but I think one year where they just missed on a tiebreaker to the Falcons. You could tell Russell Wilson was definitely growing year in and year out because you're right. In the beginning of that stretch, it was the defense, the mm-hmm. Legion of Boom. Since and the, the 20- running game, Marsha- Marshawn Lynch, Lynch too. Yes. Yeah, right. Since the 2015 season though, it's been him. Marshawn Lynch got hurt that year at the beginning of that year. They had some random running backs step in and play well, but Russell Wilson. That was his best season as a pro. Doug Baldwin his best year a wide receiver, and they had a lot of different things going for them, and since then it's been more of a Russell Wilson-led team. The defense has regressed. The scheme still made it seem serviceable, but it wasn't the same as the Legion of Boom, and now it's become more of an offensive team. So now, with Russell Wilson now getting hurt this year and having a lot of trouble with the front office, they're not rebuilding the offensive line. Chris Carson's been in and out with injuries, so their running game has been iffy in the last two years. So, How many
2: running backs have they drafted in the first round? The yeah, Rashad, yeah, Rashad
3: Penny as well hasn't stayed healthy either. Seattle just, it, the philosophy that they had just ran out. It just got past the time. The division got better. Not that the division wasn't very good before that, too. But still, it steamed out to the point where, yeah, they're gonna have to rebuild now. This is all those draft picks now: two firsts, two seconds, and good players. Font maybe is a building Font's piece. the best player
2: in that trade.
3: He's the one building piece. Shelby Harris is a good player, but he's older, so I don't know how much he's gonna last in Seattle. Just because he's rebuilding. not that old. See, you make it thirty seem like years old, man. Thirty that's, years old. That's
2: not old, and he's still a talented player who was one of the best defensive players on a defensive line, which, by the way, is weak. And we're gonna talk about that with Lance a little bit later in the show. I know they still have Chubb there. They lost Von Miller last year in a trade. Maybe he comes back. I don't think they can afford him. You make it seem like Shelby Harris is a good. He's not that right.
3: rebuilding team for Seattle, if he has a good year, they might consider trading him just to get more pieces because they're rebuilding. Maybe. They're not going to win anything this year. Seattle definitely on that path now. Metcalf's as good as gone. Lockett's another piece. Chris Carson's another piece. He has a bigger contract, so he might be tougher to move, but again, they're going to try to move as many as possible, I would imagine, especially if they do bring a new GM, which seems inevitable. I think Carroll and Schneider attached to the hip. So again, end of an era for a very stable team for Seattle that all of a sudden just fell apart recently. As far as the Broncos, yeah, they're definitely now up there getting Russell Wilson. They've been a quarterback away since Peyton Manning retired. They had all this talent that was being wasted by just god-awful quarterback play from Paxton Lynch to now with Drew Locke. You're right, Teddy Bridgewater, I think, is a fine quarterback. Dealt with a lot of injury issues last year, too, which didn't help. So now they got the guy that is going to help them get to that next level. I still have my doubts on Hackett as a coach. Just coming from the Packers who have had Coordinators do struggle in other places George Patton was the guy that more wanted Russell Wilson thought he could be a good fit for this Team a team that has a a lot of talent All around it are they the best team in the division I'm not sure about that but
2: the division Is stacked Kansas City the LA Chargers who lay in Khalil Mack Khalil Mack is still a talented defensive Lineman he could get at you you put him With Joey Bosa two sides of the line You add that and then you have Derwin James Coming up the middle I think this is one of the more Talented defenses in the league they have a great Great offense. They have one of the best underrated running backs in Eckler. They have a talented wide receivers and tight ends. The Chargers gave up nothing for Khalil Mack. A second and a sixth. Look what Chicago had to trade for to get Khalil Mack. Three first-round draft picks and a third. Khalil Mack is still on top of his game last year at nine sacks on a defense that was supposed to be good. Tremendous amount of talent. They weren't as good as everybody thought they were going to be. It was definitely the strength of the Chicago Bears, but it wasn't the Chicago Bears we knew them as. And you talk about talented players. Two of the best players in their respectable positions. in Russell Wilson now going to the Broncos. And now Khalil Mack? Khalil Mack going to the L.A. Chargers. This is the best division in football. It's not even an argument. It's not even a question. Kansas City is going to have to figure things out because they gave Patrick Mahomes a $550 million contract. Are they going to bring back the uh, Honey Badger? There are certain other defensive players that they're going to have to decide if they're going to bring back or they're going to drop or waive them. So there's, there's so much going on in this division. But arguably the best division in football. Oh, it's definitely the best division in football now. Solidified that. And it's
3: going to be an interesting discrepancy. We were talking about it with the Super Bowl, the the Rams and the Bengals, two teams that went through all quick fixes. And the Chiefs now are going to have to go through that this year because they're going to lose a lot of defensive players. And their running back situation is still iffy as well, but they still have the coaching to make that kind of thing work. The Broncos and the Chargers both have very good balance throughout their roster. The Chargers really only have one major weakness, and it's the interior defensive line. Third worst run defense last year. But they have talented linebackers and safeties, though, too. So it's really just the interior, the beef of that interior defensive line. Because the outside rush is excellent now. Joey Bosa's their best pass rusher, and Khalil Mack's not far behind. Khalil
2: Mack is the best pass rusher on that team. How could you put Joey Bosa in front of Khalil Mack? Khalil Mack has been the best or one of the top three best pass rushers in the league. Joey Bosa can't even stay on the field with health. You're going to put him in front of Khalil Mack? You're, got, you're on drugs. You
3: got Derwin James. You got Asante Samuel Jr., who played very well last year. You still got Chris Harris. Offensively, they're very bad balanced. They probably need a tight end. They can find later in the draft. And then Eckler, one of the best running backs, best pass-catching running back in the league right now. A lot of depth with the wide receivers. People are mocking wide receivers to them in drafts, and I don't get it. I know Keenan Allen's older, but they have Mike Williams, Jalen Guyton's a nice receiver, Josh Palmer. They got a lot of weapons over there with the Chargers. Very balanced team, and so are the Broncos. The Broncos need probably a little more offensive line and defensive line, but beyond that, they're pretty much set. So, it'll be interesting to see if balance will win out in this division, or the Chiefs with the coaching and the star power will win out more.
2: I think it's going to be very fun to watch, and I expect more trades to happen. There are still a lot of players being dangled around, and Seattle looks like a team that is a trade partner with almost any other team. DK Metcalf is as good as gone. Teams would be very interested in Tyler Lockett, who's still around a good age to bring in a wide receiver. You could put him in a slot. You could put him on the outside. Maybe the Broncos make a move for one of those guys. They have a lot of pieces over there that they could trade back to Seattle. I was very surprised that Seattle wasn't looking for a swap for a wide receiver in that trade, but you gave up a lot for Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson could definitely put you on the top of the league, especially with his talent. Now, the question is, is Russell Wilson the same Russell Wilson he was when he was with Seattle before he hurt his finger? Now, I do believe Russell Wilson was not the same quarterback in the second half because of his finger. He came back too fast. When you look at the AFC, we talk about how strong the NFC was and how the NFC has been the powerhouse throughout the NFL. It's no longer the NFC. It is the AFC. It is. Yeah. It's not even an argument. When you look at the powerhouse teams, Buffalo's still there. New England's getting better. Pittsburgh If they get a quarterback, they're going to be up there again this year with their defense. Had a couple players retire, too. And then it's Baltimore, who has a lot of money and has a lot of opportunity to bring in free agents. The Cincinnati Bengals, that are fantastic as well. And that's not going through all the other divisions right now in the AFC. The
3: AFC South is really the only one that's weak, and the Titans and Colts are still both good teams, Jacksonville should get better. If the Colts get
2: a quarterback, they're going to be dangerous. Yeah, they are,
3: and they have a lot of money in order to do that. Now with the Carson Wentz trade, they have $69 million in cap space. The AFC North, the AFC West is all loaded, and for the NFC, the only division that's really loaded is the NFC West, but now Seattle got significantly weaker, so all the other divisions
2: are top-heavy. It's weird to see this kind of shift just all at once. If you guys didn't check out the combat, fantastic. The fastest wide receivers of all time running the 40. One of the fastest times for a corner to run in the 40s as well. A defensive lineman in Davis from Georgia that ran a 4.78, 340-pound guy. Anybody that is that big that can run a 4.78, at the Combine, of 40. He can run through a car. He can run through a train. This guy is going to be a beast of a man. He definitely is going to move up in the draft. He was looked at as possibly an early 20s pick. Now you're talking about early teen. Absolutely ridiculous what we saw at the Combine. The draft, a month and a half away. Free agency that opens up next week. It's going to be really, really fun. Jordan Davis and a lot of these other offensive linemen, too. They're all fast
3: now. 12 Look at the offensive, offensive and defensive too. linemen, yeah. All running that. That's the wave of the league now. And you're seeing with all these just athletic Big guys. We talk about it in the NBA, all these big men that could shoot. All these They're not 350 pounds of No, fat. no, no. The NFL, it's even more impressive when you see how well these big guys move now on the offensive and defensive line. And Speedy, you you're a, a thin little league.
2: rail, and you couldn't outrun these guys. I could probably right now run a 40, it's somewhere in the low fives. I'm not in football shape or no, anything. Right. But when I was in high school, I could run in at a 4-4, four, 4-5. Four, four, I was very fast. Track and field runner. I was all state runner. I can't do that anymore, especially with my hip surgery. All the injuries that I've had, I can't do that anymore. But it's fantastic what you see some of these young players are doing right now. And it just shows you the growth of the athletics here in the United States. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our special guest, the Mile High Huddle Broncos Analyst and Draft Scout, Lance Sanderson, here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is The Weekend Crunch. I'm the host... Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, I'm Greasy Man PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We were talking about the Russell Wilson trade, and why not bring an expert, a guy that follows the Broncos through and through? We are now talking to Mile High Huddle Broncos analyst and draft scout Lance Sanderson. What's going on, Lance?
4: Tell us what's going on? How we doing? Pleasure to join the show. It's the first time being on here. Uh, Errol and Petey, it's, it's uh, nice to be on the show and thank you guys for having me. What's going on?
2: Absolutely. And why not have you on? I mean, the biggest trade of the weekend, Russell Wilson getting traded over there to your Broncos. Very interesting because... Over the last couple of weeks, there was a lot of stories that Aaron Rodgers was the guy that they were gunning for, bringing in the offensive coordinator for the the Green Bay Packers. And the weakness of this team really was the quarterback play year in and year out for the last couple of years. Ever since Peyton Manning has retired, this team really hasn't found that guy that was going to fill in for Peyton Manning. So what were your thoughts when you heard that Russell Wilson was on his way to the Broncos?
4: First things first, the whole Aaron Rodgers decision. Does it not feel like the Russell Wilson trade following like an hour after mm-hmm. that was like, squash your vibe here, sir. You've had enough of the attention. Let's get the focus back on the Denver Broncos for just a little bit and just break the sports world for a minute. And that's exactly what it did to me. I was driving in my semi, I, a semi driver for a living, was driving back from one of my last stops. I damn near wrecked the damn thing. Like seriously, <laughs> it was about, about like a three lane pilot. It was amazing. I was so ecstatic, so excited just because the Broncos have been a quarterback carousel since 2015 when they won Super Bowl 50. Obviously, you've got names like Mark Sanchez was in the building, Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, Joe Flacco was in the building at one point, Case Keenum was there, Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. It's just been a non – ending desert and finally at the end of this you're like when you walk through the desert and you're just begging for a drink of water you're looking for anything tap water you walk <laughs> to the end of this desert and finally there's there's a bottle of water and it's like fiji or smart water like the best water you can possibly ever get This is Russell freaking Wilson, guys. This is a top five quarterback in the NFL. I don't care what anyone wants to say. I understand the finger injury last year. He's kind of fallen off a little bit. 33 years old. The mobility is kind of slowing down a little bit. But guys, this dude is going to take this offense to another level. Something we haven't seen since 2013 with the Denver Broncos. Like, Quite honestly, it's been that long of a stretch with just inept quarterback play. And I cannot be more excited
3: so the true value of the trade Errol thought they gave up a lot I yes. thought I didn't think it was as bad because Shelby Harris is older Noah Font while he's a good prospect really hasn't developed it's been two years Russell Wilson also doesn't use a lot of the tight end so I really didn't think it was as bad and obviously Drew Locke has been turnover prone so what do you think of the value of the trade do you think they did well do you think they fleeced Seattle what do you think?
4: honestly I think they fleeced Seattle to tell you the truth because we're, we're talking a 33 year old franchise quarterback potential Hall of Famer a guy that's been to two Super Bowls won one amazingly how he has not been an MVP or at least got MVP vote in this league is just beyond me but you're talking to a guy that's got a three to one touchdown to interception ratio over the course of his career been a 4,000 yard passer nine time pro Bowler, an elite level quarterback you're not getting that for less than three first round picks I was listening to you guys talk about Deshaun Watson earlier yeah. and I still think that you're getting two firsts for a player of that caliber mm-hmm. even with the legal situation over his head it's a 27 year old quarterback that's a top five player in the NFL at the position The quarterback position is the most premium position in all sports. Like hockey goalie is a close number two, but even then we're talking NFL quarterback, hockey goalie down here. The disparity between the two is so incredibly invaluable that you're getting a a franchise quarterback for two first round picks for two second round picks. You're shipping over a fifth, getting a fourth, and you're getting rid of a player in Drew Locke who I am not a fan of. Noah fan. that's actually the piece that really hurts me the most because Mm -hmm if you give him a good quality quarterback and a system that actually utilizes his talents the way that they need to utilizing that athleticism the speed stretching the seams utilizing him on some deep over routes some spear routes and stuff like that where you can throw him the ball into some space and let him run after the catch the way that he we all know that he is able to do Mm. like that's the big piece that hurts but shelby harris they might have overpaid him just a little bit this last season three years 27 million dollars like nine million dollars a year or something like that that's an all right deal but The Broncos got out of this with a franchise quarterback that has a five to seven year window, at least for two first round picks sign me up all day guys. Like this is a fleece job. It comes even further circle. When you understand that the Washington commanders actually offered three first round picks for Russell Wilson. And the reason why the the trade value went down was because Russell Wilson had the no trade clause and he actually had the opportunity to shoot down any trade offers that he was not willing to go to Washington offered Three first-round picks, two second-round picks, and three third-round picks, at least what I was told, and four different players. For Russell Wilson. He said no. So the Broncos got away with two first, two seconds, and three players to get that guy? Because he said yes? Dude, you can't be serious.
2: We are talking to Mile High Huddle Broncos analyst and draft scout Lance Sanderson. We talk about the Broncos, some of the talent that they have. Now you add Russell Wilson. Now that you have Russell Wilson in the building, you have Devontae Williams that looks like he's a stud. Jerry yes. Judy, if he can stay healthy. Do they bring back Melvin Gordon? You have a great corner in Patrick Sertan. This team has a tremendous amount of defense, and they have a lot of offensive weapons, Cortland, Sutton, this team probably has more weapons on the offensive side of the ball that Russell Wilson has never actually played with in Seattle all those years. So, adding Russell Wilson, what could this offense be this year, adding a guy like Russell Wilson?
4: Very exciting. in in my personal opinion. I mean, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, you've got two prototypical X receivers playing on the same side of the football. They do a really good job creating separation, run after the catch, very big body, physical catch receivers. It's just an amazing pair of wide receivers. And then you add in a slot guy, like a Jerry Judy, a guy that is arguably a top three route runner, and he's not number three in the NFL. A guy that can create instant separation. He has some drop issues, so that's going to be something to watch and monitor going forward with a guy like Russell Wilson who does like to fit some footballs into some tight windows. The weapons that this guy has now is far and away better than anything he's ever had. No slight to DK Metcalf or to Tyler Lockett. Like those guys are great wide receivers, but name of the third wide receiver on that team you can't mm-hmm. it's not it's not possible it's like freddie like
3: that <laughs> yeah
4: yeah like who was their tight end this year jacob hollister former undrafted free agent from my home state of wyoming by the way mm-hmm. shout out to jacob hollister but you still have albert okawaben on as well another straight line vertical thread tight end position javante williams who's a broken tackle machine i was listening to some denver sports talk radio earlier today and they're like javante williams with the physical type of running that he has you're mm-hmm. gonna put him into some outside zone stretch situations bootleg play action stuff javante williams Is that the next Marshawn Lynch? I don't want to really be that guy, but that's the the kind of player you're, you're looking at here. A guy that can get physical, get down the field, has the ability to break long runs. He's not going to take anything to the house because he doesn't have that long breakaway type of speed. But this offensive system under Nathaniel Hackett, they're going to run a lot of wide zone, bootleg play action plays, and then throw the football deep, which is what Russell Wilson really likes to do. And they've got three guys one specifically in jerry judy that can take the top off of the defense and two guys that can go and just go get it go jump be the high point receiver play above the rim and take the football down and be physical at the point of the catch so this could be a very very exciting offense and it really wouldn't surprise me to see the broncos go after a tight end early in the draft this right. year like trey mcbride or mm-hmm. maybe a guy that i really like out of coastal carolina and isaiah likely
3: i like both of those guys too i actually think mcbride is a really good fit in a lot of this modern nfl type thing so i that would yeah. definitely be interesting i you are bringing up Hackett before and obviously it seemed like the path was they were hiring Hackett to possibly lure in Aaron Rodgers at a trade. Instead they go for Russell Wilson. George Patton I think was the one they said he preferred Russell Wilson even though Aaron Rodgers is Hackett's guy. How do you think Hackett will have to adjust his offense different from what he is in Green Bay to fit to Russell Wilson's needs? Because we've seen Russell Wilson with a lot of different offensive coordinators in Seattle and kind of create for himself a lot of the time.
4: So a big thing is and I'm glad you brought that up. The ability to create behind the line of scrimmage and create his own pocket and get out and play that school yard type of football. That's going to actually kind of be accentuated with what Hackett wants to do from the sound of it. Going back to what Green Bay did, I think a lot of that was kind of predicated off of what Matt Lafleur liked to do. The straight drop pass. I think Nathaniel Hackett wants to incorporate a lot more of the bootleg action, the moving pocket, stuff like that, and get his quarterback out on the move. And While Aaron Rodgers is probably what top two quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and he can throw off of any platform. He can throw off the run and do everything. Russell Wilson is another guy that has a great arm. He can move and throw on the run. He can create with his legs and he can still extend the play and then do something with the football in his hand or out of his hand. The ability of him to be able to set back behind the line of scrimmage, pinpoint passing and throw into these tight windows and stuff like that. There's a lot to like here. I don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of tweaking that is specifically to the Matt LaFleur offense. I think they're going to try to incorporate a lot of what Russell Wilson likes to do, which listening to Mina Kimes earlier today on her podcast, what he likes to do is it's mirrored reads mm. on either side of the field. So he likes to say, All right, well, this side, I am reading this side of the field. I'm reading this side of the field. Everything's all the same. Now I can exploit something to work this way. And if my first two reads aren't there, I can then create and extend and then throw the deep shot just for the hell of it. So it's going to be a very creative offense, I think, and it's going to be something really fun to watch.
2: We are talking to Mile High Huddle, Broncos analyst and draft scout Lance Sanderson. Something that stands out to me when it comes to this Broncos team is their offensive line, which played very well last year. One of the more underrated strengths. Of this team. And Russell Wilson, that comes from Seattle, one of their weakest parts of their team was the offensive line year in and year out. They didn't rebuild that offensive line. One of the main reasons why Russell Wilson wanted out of Seattle was the offensive line. What are your thoughts now with one of the big strengths of this team is their offensive line? What could Russell Wilson do better now with an offensive line this good?
4: To go into the offensive line a little bit more in depth here, Mm -hmm. they definitely need a right tackle. Of course. Last year, they had Bobby Massey as a free agent this year. They had a revolving door at the right tackle position for a long time. Lloyd Cushenberry at the center position is a, a guy that they could potentially move on from in some kind of a trade package. I know they're not thrilled with him. He just hasn't developed and the play strength with him is just terrible. And that's something that they're going to have to kind of scheme around. But I do think that what they're going to do is Graham Glasgow, who played center at Michigan and also played center in Detroit, is going to be a guy that are going to slide inside. Another guy that they drafted in the third round last year out of Wisconsin Whitewater, my guy, Quinn Miners, the belly. I mean, this guy is monstrous, a great athlete. He played center at the Senior Bowl and actually showed out as well there's still some issues and some tooling that needs to be done with the offensive line but going back to what Russell Wilson had in Seattle we're leaps and a bounds ahead of what the Seattle Seahawks had here in Denver like it's much better this offensive line while it's not spectacular mm-hmm. and yeah there's some holes you got to patch up mm-hmm. there's still a lot to work with here they're going to do a lot better now with this zone scheme where you can get a guy like Dalton Reisner moving laterally because he's not a, a guy that you can just put in, into the phone booth and have him all a guy down he's not a gap kind of a player get him out into some space and let him chase some guys down. That's what he's gonna do. And then Garrett Bowles, man, like we got to talk about this guy because he's so athletic and so long. He's so strong. He's got that bully mentality. He's a glass eater, if you know what I mean. Like this guy is phenomenal. There's a lot of pieces here and this new scheme for them is going to accentuate that. And then they have a quarterback that has the ability to maneuver in within the pocket, get outside, create his own space, create his own running lanes, create his own throwing lanes as well. I'm so excited for this Broncos offense because we finally have have a quarterback that can actually accentuate all of the talent that we do currently have even with the slight holes that we still have in place
3: Garrett Bowles all the Bronco fans wanted him out in 2019 and then two great years in a row after that
4: dude I gotta tell you this so I'm wearing my hat right here the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast guys we air if you're a Broncos fan we air every Friday night on the Mile High Huddle YouTube page 6 p.m mountain time 8 p.m eastern time So for the last year and a half, even before Garrett Bowles got his contract extension, even going into that season, there were so many people that said, Garrett Bowles is a flop, is a bust. He's terrible. All he does is hold. Uh, There was a guy that was literally making like toilet jokes about him. It's like, you can't flush a 300 pound turd down Garrett toilet bowls. It was awful. I was that one guy that said, watch what's going to happen. That five holding penalty game against Chicago. After that happened, he had like three holding penalties the entire season and zero within the last five weeks. And I'm like, this guy just proved himself over six weeks of the season, improved his technique, he got his own personal mentor to help him burn his technique even better, and then came out and played at an all-pro level. And I'm like, he's going to play at an all-pro level, at a Pro Bowl level, if not all pro level. Like this is going to be a premier left tackle in the league. And he proved me right, damn it. And I still <laughs> thump my chest every single day on that day.
3: So based off of Hackett again, in terms of what you think of him as a raw head coach, was he the guy that you wanted? Was he somebody that you think is going to be a good head coach for the Broncos, or is there another t- target you had in mind what you thought would be the best fit regardless of the quarterback
4: my personal best fit was Dan Quinn that was the guy that I really wanted defensive coordinator from Dallas a guy with some head coaching experience because the Broncos after they had Gary Kubiak retire after they won Super Bowl 50 they went in the direction of Vance Joseph first time head coach on the defensive side of the football quote unquote leader of men was just a rising up-and-coming star I really didn't want to go in the next direction even with Vic Fangio I wanted Mike Munchak to be the head coach at that particular point but Mike Munchak wasn't interested in being a head coach anymore he just wanted to stick on the offensive line which is fortunate for the broncos because he ended up coming to denver to coach under vic fangio but we now have a guy in dan quinn who's a high quality head coach who's been to a super bowl he's been at the highest level of the game widely respected very well liked among all of his players and every single one of his players wanted him to come back in atlanta including matt ryan who pounded at the table on arthur blank's desk saying We need this guy. This is our head coach. And then they just didn't come out and perform for him. But what he did with Dallas, who was a terrible defense back in 2019, bring him back 2020, 2021, especially in 2021, where that defense, you have Trevon Diggs, you have Micah Parsons, you have Demarcus Lawrence, like all three of those guys were potentially in the, the conversation of the defensive player of the year. Dan Quinn was the head of that defense. And he, with the experience that he had, that was the guy that I wanted. And it also brings full circle to the conversation we're having here tonight. Russell Wilson. He was the defensive coordinator in Seattle, with Russell Wilson when they went to and won Super Bowl forty eight back in 2013. That was the guy that I wanted because you have experience on the head coach, the connection to the quarterback, and you can finally get this franchise back to relevancy.
2: We are talking to Mile High Huddle, Broncos analyst and draft scout Lance Sanderson. So you are a draft scout. So tell us a little bit about what you thought about the combine. What stood out to you? Obviously, the speed of some of the wide receivers in the corners, probably the fastest wide receiving class we've ever seen come out of the combine. What were your thoughts of this year's combine?
4: It's difficult because you see all the fast times, but also you see a lot of guys this year that I thought were gonna test a lot faster, specifically speaking to a guy that I like that fits in what the Broncos wanna do, wide zone scheme at the right tackle position, and Max Mitchell from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. The movement skills that he has, he did not test very well at the combine. But on the flip side of that, then you have guys that you did know that were gonna run well, that you did know that were gonna test very well, like a Troy Anderson or a Tariq Woolen from UTSA, the cornerback, six foot four, two oh. 5 ran a 4.26 jumped out of the building it was so much fun to just get back into that environment and hear more of the stories that came out of it the crazy thing that i heard this year and i'm not sure if this is like that every single year is the scheduling was so different from what it sounded like where they would have these guys do medical interviews and stuff like that after they did their bench press. So they go in, they warm up, do the bench press, and then do medicals and interviews with the teams individually and then go back out onto the field. And there was a lot of players, specifically one Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. He didn't like that. And that was a big reason why he actually backed out of the testing from what it sounds like. He did the bench press. He did the 40s. Like, I just can't do all this stuff, which – going back to his interview process is kind of a red flag because he said he was going to do all that and he didn't care. He was a competitor. Well, if you're a competitor, you got to deal with some tough situations every night. It it was, it was just fun to get back into the conversation of it. Like actually having some inside media, there some people that I talked to within the organization, within the the media group that lives here in Denver as well. Like it's fun to have some of those conversations come back to light and really get some more insight to some more of these prospects. And I really can't wait to get into it even further.
3: You were mentioning a lot of the small school guys. I know you mentioned you're a Wyoming guy, Chad Mumma another one that I, th- yep. I i liked coming out he didn't test as well either so just the small school guys in general you're talking about lively you're talking about woolen who i really like too it seems like there's more of them in this draft than they usually are what do you think is the biggest reasoning for that and can you see this become more of a common trend just because they get more experience more playing time over some of the guys that might be at bigger schools but don't get the chance to play as much
4: i think a big part of that is actually over the last couple of seasons with the ncaa opening up the transfer portal and getting some of these guys that are in bigger schools yeah they, they get signed they, they want that big scholarship they want the big time bright lights and stuff like that but go back to a guy at the top of the draft probably the number one quarterback in this draft class and Malik Willis who went to Auburn and he ended up transferring out because he couldn't beat out Jarrett Sidham and then couldn't beat out Bo Nix it was just not the right fit for him he transferred to Liberty spent three years there and is now the number one quarterback in this draft class you've got guys like a Trevor Penning up in northern Iowa a guy that's a freakish athlete like there's so much more parody in the college football ranks especially at the lower level because you have all these guys that are saying I don't have the opportunity here to hit the field and get my talents actually shown and recognized on a national scale so why not go and get to a place where i can actually show myself i can actually get on the field i can actually start and show these scouts that i am worthy of being a top level pick because why would you sit and rot behind somebody on the bench look at justin field's last year he was at Georgia sitting behind Jake Fromm said I'm not going to sit here and compete behind a guy that they've already handed the starting job to let him just go do it I'm going to transfer out wait a year sit in the transfer portal I'll come out at Ohio State show that I'm the better quarterback and then go out and become a top 12 draft pick that's the biggest reason to me why you're seeing a lot more of these small school kids because there are a lot more transfer kids coming from bigger programs to start to thin out some of the talent a little bit more
2: we are talking to mile high huddle Broncos analyst and draft scout Lance Sanderson Lance, talking about the Combine, these offensive linemen, the one that really stood out to me in this Combine was Ikem Iquanu, who was uh, absolutely fantastic. He did everything that we expect an offensive lineman to do at these Combines. Ran the 40 very well. Lifting, everything. Jumping ability. What were your thoughts about him? And some people say now, as well as he did at the Combine, he might move up as the number one best offensive lineman in this draft over Evan Neal, who didn't really do his Combine. He's going to be doing his pro day in a couple of weeks.
4: Iki Aquanu is a guy that's just so much fun to watch because he's got the elite athleticism. All the traits are there. He's a mauler in the running game. Great pass sets. Going back to his testing, he damn near jumped out of the building from the sound of it. And also, there's a great backstory behind him as well. He's apparently a guy that got into Yale, very intelligent kid, and decided that his best future for him was to go to North Carolina State and then play on the offensive line, and now he's going to be a multi-millionaire because he probably is going to be at least a top three pick, if not the number one pick in this draft. Mm-hmm. It's just a huge testament to a guy like that, and it's a great testament to the scouting process because a couple weeks ago, there were people like, is he really worth four? Is he even worth a top ten pick? Is that a guy that we really want to go into? There's some flaws with him. He's still got some technical refinement. just don't exactly they know about him. Then he comes out, he blows everyone away in his interview process, tests athletically off the charts, and I think firmly in the driver's seat for the number one pick this year, quite honestly. Mm -hmm.
3: The Broncos now, with the Russell Wilson trade, don't have a pick until the third round, but still have five picks in the top 115. Is there a position and or also specific prospects that you would think would be good fits for the Broncos to target?
4: The right tackle position is a big need for this team. Depth at the cornerback position, you have Pat Sertan, Ronald Darby they signed. It sounds like Bryce Callahan could be coming back on a cheap deal, by the way. They also like Michael Ojemudia, a former third round pick out of Iowa but they're not exactly sure how he fits in here so cornerback especially in the nickel is going to be a big thing edge defender for sure because obviously with Von Miller and the rumors that was going around with him the other day it sounds like he wants to come back but with the deal that Harold Landry just signed with the Titans five years 87 and a half million dollars that might drive him out of the Broncos price range because with this Russell Wilson deal the Broncos have currently about 24 and a half million dollars in cap space are you going to be willing to throw that at a 33 year old edge defender who is still playing at pretty high level, at mm-hmm. least from what he showed in the playoffs this last season. So edge is definitely a concern there as well. And obviously the off ball linebacker position specifically for guys, because the Broncos don't pick until number 64. They gave up their number nine. They gave up the number 40. So they have the 64th pick as their first pick this year. Max Mitchell at the right tackle position. Tyler Smith from Tulsa is another guy. Daniel fought even though I'm not quite sure that he's going to fit just because he didn't move as well as I thought he did. Even in his time as Minnesota, six foot six, 380 pounds and for a guy that size he moves well but does he move well enough to get in the stretch zone game i'm not sure cordell volson to get it out of north dakota state that i really liked a couple of years ago when i watched him the first time i actually thought that he looked a lot like garrett bowles just in his movement skills the length and the frame that he has they look a lot alike so that was a guy i really liked even though it sounds like i might be moving inside the guard at the next level for cornerback specifically i already mentioned his name Tariq woolen is a guy that i really like the fluidity testing do you guys follow kentley platt the relative athletic score on Twitter. If not, this is a great follow for you guys. It's at Math Bomb. It's a size metric and then an athletic testing metric that he combines them together to give you a relative athletic score. Tariq Woolen actually scored a 10 out of 10 unofficial on his relative athletic score at 6'4", 205 with a 4.2640, under 7 seconds in his three-cone drill. This guy's a freak of an athlete. Young player at the position, was a transfer from a wide receiver, so he still has got a long ways to go, but at 64, I think you have some value there. He can also play at the slot a little bit. Cameron Taylor Britt, a kid from Nebraska that I really like a lot, he played a lot at safety at the Senior Bowl. Does a really good job running downhill, a very aggressive tackler. If he's going to be at the cornerback position at the NFL level, he's probably going to need to play off the ball because he's a little bit stiff in his hips doesn't really have the fluidity to play an off zone that's still a guy that i like because the broncos like to play a lot of off quarters coverage so he would fit there a guy that i really like as well darion kendrick from georgia head case and there's a big reason why he's fallen in this draft the athleticism is there the fluidity is there the ball skills are there it's a guy that i would take a third round flyer on say at like number 75 which is the broncos next pick at edge nick benito from oklahoma is a guy i like cameron thomas who's actually kind of falling because he didn't test very well at the combine and at that size you need to have a lot better athleticism than he actually does Josh Paschal out of Kentucky Alex Wright a kid from University of Alabama Birmingham is another kid that I like as well at the linebacker position Chad Muma Troy Anderson Channing Tindall out of Georgia is a guy I like a lot and then Brian Asamoah While he's small, he has at least some fluidity to him. He doesn't have the most athleticism, but he identifies his landmarks and coverage really well. That's a guy that I like for this Broncos scheme.
2: Going into the season, now the Broncos are probably in the hardest division in all of football. The Las Vegas Raiders, if they keep Derek Carr there, you have Derek Carr there, you have Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and then you have Justin Herbert, a young superstar right in front of our eyes. Being that the Broncos now have Russell Wilson, do you think now, with Russell Wilson that they're the team to beat in a division or they still have a lot of work to do.
4: I think they're right up there with it. Honestly, I think it's kind of a coin flip between the chiefs and the Broncos. When you have quarterbacks of that caliber and with the quality of the roster that the Broncos do have currently, we obviously went through the offensive side of the football, but even st- still defensively the secondary is still set up they might need some safety help outside of Justin Simmons who is a top five safety in the league they have Caden Stearns a second round player out of Texas from last year who played well but not well enough to go into the season with him as the starter you're probably going to want some competition for him the linebacker position with Baron Browning they're going to bring back potentially Josie Jewell is a guy they're going to bring back they also have Micah Kaiser and uh, Jonas Griffith a couple of guys that played towards the end of the season that actually fit very well with what this defense wants to do the defensive line is really the biggest question for me on the this team right now because you obviously traded off Shelby Harris Mike Purcell who's a, a nose tackle on this team is probably on his way out as a cap casualty you've got Draymond Jones Deshaun Williams is a guy that could stick around but then Bradley Chubb is a huge question mark because he just can't stay healthy and when he is healthy he's a great player you really like to have a guy like that but on the other side of that Malik Reed has been not great Jonathan Cooper a rookie last year has some play strength issues he's got to work through there's just not a lot to work with they've really got to bolster this pass rush but still even outside of that there's enough talent on this team and with a quarterback like a Russell Wilson that can go and win you some football games this team is going to be very lethal in the AFC West especially and I believe they're going to be a playoff team depending on what they do in free agency and if they can fill some holes in the draft as well they are legitimate Super Bowl contenders like right away like this team has enough pieces and with a Super Bowl winning quarterback a quarterback the caliber of Russell Wilson they're knocking on
3: the door for sure the betting odds already put them fourth in terms of winning the Super Bowl after wow. the Russell Wilson trade so my last question is actually not football related you said you were a wyoming guy a basketball yeah. team looking pretty good this year they're projected a nine seed right now in jerry palms bracketology how far do you think they could go in this ncaa tournament
4: i don't follow the college basketball scene very much but what i do follow from the wyoming aspect of it they played csu really tough won a game in fort collins a couple of weeks ago and they lost in laramie just the other day sounds like they were right on the doorstep of being ranked so i'm very excited i know graham Ek is a guy that's getting looked at it as far as a, a potential professional player Hunter Maldonado, one of their wing players, is a high quality scorer, guy that goes and rebounds the basketball well. As far as the NCAA tournament, CSU is so dominant. That Dobby kid is just an amazing player. I don't expect Wyoming to win the West. Going into the tournament, if they're going to be a nine seed, they're probably going to have a a tough matchup. If they make it out of the first round and the second round, I'd be proud of them. If they make it out of the second round and going into the Sweet 16, that would be a lot of fun. And I I think they have enough talent, they should be able to do it. Looking forward to it. I can't wait.
3: The way this projection lies, they would play Murray State in the first round as the eighth seed, and then they'll get. Get to play Gonzaga.
4: If they play Gonzaga, they're not getting out of the second round, that's for sure. Gonzaga has the goods to go in and win the tournament. But isn't that something they never say win. every single year, though? They'll be the number one season, they'll just lose <laughs> in the second round. Like they're they're, they're pretty crazy. steady
3: the last six years and making the sweet sixteen at least, but beyond that it's a crapshoot.
2: They never win.
4: So I I got a question for you guys regarding the NCAA tournament. I actually tuned into the Duke and North Carolina game mm. the other day. Was that as much of an embarrassment as I thought it was? It's Coach K's last game. Ticket prices, did you guys ever see what like yeah. the lowest? Yeah. Six thousand dollars.
3: Yeah. The lowest one yeah, was like 3482 and the highest was up to like 50000
4: There was a guy who was a booster, I think. He actually bought four tickets for a million dollars. So $250,000 of pop courtside seats. That high of a scale event in Coach K's last game in Cameron Indoor Stadium, national televised... Everybody is watching this. And you go out and get your absolute you-know-what kicked in in front of the entire well, nation. I am
2: a Duke fan. your
4: biggest rival.
2: Yeah, I'm a Duke fan. I love to rub it in. I watched bits and pieces of the game, especially in the fourth quarter, where I tuned in about five minutes left, and they were down by, I think, eight. I didn't think they were going to win the game going into the five minutes. Left of the game, but was it embarrassing? Yeah, is it going to hurt Duke when it comes to being a top seed in the NCAA tournament? If they make it to the final four, nobody's even going to care what they did in that game. No, to me, it's all about trying to win a national championship, and they better not play like that. If they play like that, they're going to be eliminated pretty early in the tournament. I've been saying this: they're not a good rebounding team, and when they play teams like Purdue or even North Carolina or Kansas or any of these teams that can rebound the ball – They're going to have problems with it. They're a good shooting team, but they're not good rebounding. And year in and year out over the years, they've always been a good rebounding team. Coach K's teams have always been good in the paint and rebounding the ball. This year, that's one of their weaknesses. And I think it's going to affect them in the NCAA tournament.
4: If they don't go out and rebound the basketball and play more physical, man, like Mm. they they seem soft. Yeah, they they are soft. They really do. And it's crazy. They want to play that finesse game. They want to shoot the ball really Mm -hmm. well. That Boncaro kid is spectacular. Yes. Great shooter. He's amazing. He's a lottery pick. I watched one game. That was it. I'm like, that kid's a lottery pick. Like, mm-hmm. I guarantee you, he's going to be great. Mm-hmm. But they got to get way more physical, especially on the offensive glass, especially on the defensive glass. They've got to get a little bit quicker in transition and then slow down and set up and don't settle for shots, mm-hmm. especially against North Carolina. They were down, I think, six with like seven minutes to go. Yep they had an opportunity but it was like settle four shots quick shots getting the ball out of their hands quickly they had no knock anything they had
2: no chance in six minutes left of the game I knew that Duke was going to lose I had friends texting me I kind of shut it off with the last three minutes of the game I said there's no way they're coming back in this game I don't want to hear it they get it four threes in a row they're not winning this game it was something about the pace of the game it was going North Carolina really at the end of the first half going into the second half it was all North Carolina the pace was their pace and that's why they won the game. It's going to be
4: interesting to see, because if they don't get more physical, if they don't rebound the ball better, especially on both sides of the floor, they could be a, a quick out. Didn't they lose as a two fifteen? Yes, they did. A, yes. a, a couple years ago? They're going to be a 2-seed this year, too, from the sound of it. They got knocked out of the top four, so mm-hmm. they're probably going to be a 2-seed. They're two better off. They, they,
3: they lost as a two fifteen in 2012 to CJ McCollum-led Lehigh, and then two years go. later, I remember because I picked them to win at all that year, they lost three yep. fourteen as well against Mercer mm-hmm. in 2014. Yep. So it's mm-hmm. definitely weird. Duke's weird. They either go out in the first round or they'll make the final four. Like Usually, there's no really in between with them this even though they true. lost to south carolina that was early too but it's also weird too you mentioned the rebounding their team defense
2: is actually better than they usually are but mm-hmm. they're just a guard-oriented team they're they can't rebound yeah. they just can't rebound <laughs> and they, they play one of these bigger teams like i said purdue kansas north carolina and these teams are re- out rebounding them and they have to shoot if they're shooting right. and they're shooting well they're a good shooting team they're one of the best shooting teams in the nation if they can shoot the three and they get hot nobody's beating them. But if they get into one of these spurts where, like they did against North Carolina where they shot like five three-pointers in a row and they couldn't hit one of them, they're not winning because they can't out-rebound the big teams. You're shooting threes and you're missing them and the other team's out-rebounding you. There's no way you're going to be able to keep up with the teams that can get into the paint and dominate you in the paint. So that's why I think Duke is going to have problems in the NCAA tournament. It's just a matter of where they are in the bracket and who they're matched up in the bracket. They match up very well against some of these teams. They don't have to play Purdue. They don't have to play any of those other teams that I just mentioned. I think it'll be a very easy sweet 16 for the Duke Blue Devils. If they do have to play one of these big rebounding teams that like to beat you up in the paint... They're not winning. They're they going to get over Kentucky yeah, then yeah, because they got probably the best big man in basketball. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's true. Lance, <laughs> why don't you tell the fans how they can find you on social media?
4: All right, guys. You guys can follow me on Twitter by finding me at SandersonMHH. And also, guys, while you're at it, if you're a Broncos fan, also hit up at Mile High Huddle, where you guys are going to find instant news and analysis, breaking news on your Denver Broncos. You'll find film breakdowns, uh, opinion articles. I've got a bunch of scouting reports that are be coming here over the next about month and a half or so leading up to the draft. I also do a huge fan consensus mock draft where I go Hmm. and read about 10,000 comments over every single team and try to figure out who do the fans want for each one of these picks. So I'm going to be publishing that about a week before the draft. But guys, also, if you guys are on YouTube, make sure you guys go to Mile High Huddle on Friday nights at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, where you guys are going to find me live with my co-host Eric Trickle on the Valley Deep Divers Podcast. If you guys are Broncos fans and want to help support the show, uh, HuddleUpPod.com, where you guys can get some merch, get one of these hats, a face mask, a T-shirt, anything to suit your guys' fancy. But uh, Speedy needs Sanderson a face mask. I mean,
2: look at that face.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> he needs a hat or a haircut. Look at that. He, he definitely needs a haircut. <laughs> You
3: should read some of the old 10,000 fan comments from the 2019 draft for all the fans that were saying, oh, let's draft this tackle to <laughs> replace Garrett Bowles.
4: Who did I have? I think it was Devin Bush at 10. I was actually comfortable taking Drew Lockett at 10 there. That was actually a really fun article. In fact, it's a 2019 NFL draft. The article that I wrote, if you Googled NFL mock draft, it was actually the number three article behind one from NFL.com. And then the second was Todd McShay versus Mel Kiper Jr. 2.0, their dueling mock draft. Mine was the third one for over a week at $650,000 page views it was awesome
2: well you're wow. better than both of them so yes absolutely and by the way if you haven't read my hat over here that's what speedy is right there oh my god <laughs> <laughs> why are you wearing that hat? <laughs> what you don't like the hat man no i prefer lance's hats uh-huh. <laughs>
4: How about pod.com if you're a Broncos fan? Uh, I'll wear on. your
2: hat 99 times before I ever wear that one. That's because <laughs> you don't have a sense of humor. Anyways, Lance, thank you for joining us. We'll definitely get you on again. We really loved your interview. You're awesome. We really appreciate it.
4: Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you for having me. Can't wait to do it again. We'll see you guys later.
2: Lance, a.k.a. Russell Wilson, lover Sanders. He was absolutely fantastic, Speedy. Knows his stuff, and it gave you some insight, not only with the Broncos, but what happened at the Combine and some of the players that really stood out to him at the Combine. Yes. So many of small school guys, too. He did his research. Absolutely. I loved what he had to say about the trade, even though we all knew he was going to take the Russell Wilson side because he's a Bronco fan. But I think they gave up too much. I baked a I thought the Broncos him. won the trade, but I don't know how it would go as far as fleece, but we'll see. You thought the Broncos won the trade? I did. If they don't win a Super Bowl, they lost. Of course. And, and they give up a lot. Two firsts, two seconds, a fifth. Noah Font, who is a first-round draft pick. Drew Locke could turn out to be really good with Seattle. Then you had Shelby Harris, who's a good defensive lineman. That's way too much for one quarterback. When we could... Back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into Money Line Mania with Chaz and the crew. 81 and a half percent of the time in the last three and a half weeks, they have been right. Keep listening to them. When we come back, we will get into some games, some conversation with the best handicappers in the industry here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. my co host, Speedy. Remember to listen our show every Saturday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, I know you guys can't wait till we get these guys on. These guys are the best of the best when it comes to handicappers. This segment is also sponsored by Sports Betting Weekly. Listen to that show every single Thursday on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, and you can check out our app. We call this segment Money Line Mania.
0: This is Money Line Mania. which and the crew.
2: Chaz is always on with his handicapping friends, Blackhawk West, joining us again this week, and we have Hector are a sports soccer betting man.
1: What's going on, Chaz? How are we? We're excited. Of course, this is the time of year where when you live where I do, the games are on at like 8 o'clock in the morning. So thank you,
2: Jesus. Jesus isn't coming down from the skies, but college basketball around the corner and soccer, the World Cup is around the corner. Chaz, everything that we've done over the last couple of weeks, you guys have been nailing it. With your basketball picks, with your hockey picks, all the different picks that we've gone through, you guys are all Almost at 81.5%. Vegas is 65% right. It's unbelievable what you guys are doing with all the picks that you've made in the last couple of weeks.
1: We work hard, so it isn't an accident. Part of it is having other eyeballs. I think we've got nine guys that can get on and talk to us over the next few weeks. But right, Wes, when John sees something that you don't see or I see something, it's nice having that little text thread that says, hey,
0: the group of us were looking at different things always where I might be looking at an over. You got your data and John's saying, uh-uh, I know that this, this, and this and everybody's putting in work.
1: I left Saturday morning. I sent over a text again. There was eight o'clock games. So I'm up early. I treat the 103.9 data with respect. I put a lot of effort into make sure we, those picture winners, but I said, look at the Vermont They're the Gonzaga of the America East Conference. And I realized I didn't even know where that conference was or who was in it. But this team is dominating.
2: And there's so many people around the country that have put their life savings into this. Some people are going to Vegas, as you do, Chaz, a lot. Over there in San Diego, it's not legalized yet. Over here in New York, it's crazy. Everybody is on all the different apps that are out there from FanDuel to DraftKings, and everybody's trying to make that money. Some people are throwing away their paychecks, and some people, like Wes, they can make a living doing this. So if you know how to do this, and you understand how to rally through different games and making your picks
1: and making the right picks, you can make a lot of money doing this. I felt Hector got the bad angle because he's tried to go out there and, and put his picks out there, just like when you get in front of an audience. You know, it's not easy. Anybody gets in front of an audience or a camera, they get a little respect from me because I know it's not easy. So let's get to Hector because I know there's winners there, and now he's had an extra couple weeks to see some of these games. What are they playing, Hector? Twice a week, right? The MLS?
5: Yeah, I want to stick to my forte this time, which is USL Championship, which is the Division Two MLS, last time you saw me, was the first game of the season, so it's one of those toss-up things. And that's uh, sucky thing about soccer is obviously you can go with a win, a loss, or a tie. So there's three potential outcomes there. For this week, I'm going to stick to my forte. There are three games that I'm looking at right now. Locally here, we got the rivalry, the SoCal rivalry between San Diego and L.A. San Diego Loyal and L.A. Galaxy 2. Last season, San Diego Loyal swept them. And this year, they've gotten some good talent to join the roster. They kept some of their core guys. They're going to be playing at home, their first home game of the season at Torero Stadium. And I'm liking San Diego Loyal to win this one. And a close 1-1-0. Phoenix Rising, they were the best team in the league last year during the regular season of the Western Conference, but they got bounced out in the first round in a super, super upset. I think it was the biggest upset of the playoffs of the USL last year by Rio Grande at home. But they're going to be playing at home again. This is a team that's always a contender for the title. I think a couple years ago, they had the longest winning streak in professional sports in North America with 27 games. They're going to be playing against a team called Monterey Bay, which is their first year in the league. It's going to be a trial by fire for these guys. You know, they struggled to get into the league. There's a lot of controversy if they're going to make it in or not. But now they got to play arguably the best team in the Western Conference in Phoenix Rising. I'm feeling Phoenix Rising wins this one going away in the blowout 3-0. And then in my final game, which is the Tampa Bay Rowdies. They made it all the way to the championship game last year. Lost to the new champions, Orange County, in a tough one. They're going to be playing on the road against Birmingham Legion. Birmingham Legion's a trippy mm-hmm. team because they made it to the playoffs, but they didn't have to play the first round because the team they're going to play against, Pittsburgh, had to withdraw. But I don't think they're going to be enough to take on Tampa Bay, and I'm liking Tampa Bay on the road to win this one 2-1. to one.
1: This is opening week, correct?
5: Yeah, for USL Championship, it is opening round, yeah.
1: What do we know, Wes, about an opening week of any sport? <laughs> Tiptoe. Small yes. unit. The water may look warm, but he put your tootsies in. It ain't warm. It's probably not. Warm. Ooh, it's like the ocean in the spring. And the that's cool thing it. about
5: any sport, whether it's USL, basketball, NBA, baseball, when it's a rivalry game, like the one, for example, San Diego and the LA Galaxy, there's obviously going to be more passion than that one. You know, bragging rights in the area. Out of the three games you're going to watch, that's definitely one that you, you can miss.
1: But that's the beauty of this. So we're starting from the beginning. We're going to be paying attention. And there's going to be listeners, Errol. They're going to pay paying attention to a sport they've never watched, a league they've never watched. And teams they've never even heard of. And so from the beginning of the season, we're going to find a couple teams that we're betting on and then a couple teams we're betting against. I guarantee it. How do I know that? Because it happens every year. We make as much money west betting against people, don't we? You
0: can find a team that is just a complete mush and you can bet against them and cash every week. I mean, a couple years ago, we found a good opportunity for about five weeks in a row on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if you find the team that you know is going to lose or they're not going to cover, you're almost better off becoming their worst enemy than you are trying to find a winner on a more entertaining game. The name of the game is cashing.
1: I heard expansion team. He had, I was like a Tom Cruise movie. He had me an expansion team. Expansion team is a good way to pay for a second house. You also
2: talking about rivalry week. Thursday, the Islanders or Rangers are going to go at it. The Rangers right now are positioned very, very well in the playoffs. The Islanders look like they're going to be sellers with the trade deadline coming up this week. I think this is a big game for both teams, especially the Islanders, because they have to make a statement moving forward for going into next season, because this season, it's not working out for them.
1: Tomorrow, they're hosting Anaheim. We've talked now six weeks, and the Islanders just kept going farther back in the point totals, haven't they?
2: Yep. That's a lot to do with the COVID-19 situation. The NHL team. Cancel the games as fast as they should have. They waited until the Maple Leafs and the Canadians and the Ottawa Senators got COVID-19 over there, and they had to shut the borders, and then they canceled the games for two or three weeks. If they did it two or three weeks before that, the Islanders lost nine or ten players. Maybe the Islanders are in a playoff spot right now. And then remember, the Islanders didn't have a home game the first month of the year. They went 11,000 miles the first month of the year, which absolutely affected the Islanders and where the Islanders are positioned right now in the Eastern Conference.
1: You're talking to a San Diego State guy who was number four four in the nation. Have probably the best team in the history of San Diego State, and all of a sudden, no tournament. Bad memories for a lot of a Oh, lot of stop
2: teams. it, Chaz. COVID's gone now. In about two or three years, we're going to forget all about
1: this. We're not even going to talk about this How anymore. does that impact my San Diego State <laughs> national championship I'm just Champions saying. Academy. I'm
3: they just it. saying.
5: I'm sorry, Chaz.
3: I think they would have gotten upset that year.
1: No,
5: San Diego sports, they would have. What do you like, Wes?
0: I'm on two hockey plays. I enjoy looking at the team that played yesterday and they're coming back tomorrow. The team that's on a two days in a row type of deal this past week in hockey has been a wild one there has been a lot of goals scored last week we called out the chicago tampa bay we think it'll be some goals it ended up being nine goals but that's not the only game there's been some huge days in hockey when something like that comes up these odds makers are very smart what do they do they elevate the over unders so i think right now the opportunity for us is looking at some unders and the coaches, they're professional coaches for a reason, so adjustments get made. The first game is Sunday. I'm looking at Calgary, Colorado. These are two teams that have been red hot as far as the scoring goes. Statistically, they're also very good at preventing the goals. Given the performance this past week of both teams and how many goals they've allowed and scored, very uncharacteristic for these teams to allow a ton of goals. So I expect adjustments to be made. This will be Calgary on the road after playing another game. Six and a half is the over/under. I'm looking at taking the under doesn't really make a difference to me who wins who loses i think that the game could be 3 to 2 4 to 2 but we are not going to see 7 goals in this calgary colorado game the next one i'm looking at I love to pick on the guy that played yesterday and has a goalie change. Last week, we called Carolina, getting a team that was on the road for the second day in a row. I'm looking at LA. LA is playing tonight. I'm more concerned with tomorrow. Tomorrow, they go back home for the second day in a row, and they're going to get Florida. The top goal-scoring team in the league. couple odd performances this past week. They're rested, and I think Florida is going to light up. Now, the smart way to play this, if you want to lay one and a half, you can do that right now, and that's how you'll get your even money or your minus 105. The smart way to play it. I'm going to let the puck drop. I'm going to let it go for about three or four minutes. There's going to be an adjustment made to where you can go Florida minus one regulation. So what that does for you is it'll get you some better odds. If the game ends one point differential, you're going to end up pushing. If it ends up two goals, which is the same thing as the one and a half, you're going to win that. It's going to pay a little bit better than laying it right now. So my play is Florida. I think that they're going to win big, but I'm going to wait for the puck to drop and I'm going to take Florida over LA live regulation.
1: When Wes gives me a play, Same thing with Hector. I'll sometimes get two or three plays off of that. So I might go with the Florida team total over the Calgary or Colorado game. I might go with one of those team totals under. Let me tell you, when you got a team total under two and a half, and they're going into the third period and the team's losing one nothing, that's a pretty good way to watch a third period of hockey.
2: It's great when you have the opportunity to watch these games. Like last night, the Islanders, they scored five goals, seven goals all together against the Winnipeg Jets. And the Winnipeg Jets aren't as good of a team as they were three years ago. But they score a lot of goals. They have some good young players that can put the puck in the net. I was very surprised that the Islanders scored five goals and there were seven goals in the game. When was the last time you saw the Islanders score five goals in a game?
0: The Islanders are known as a team that plays really great aggressive defense Mm -hmm. and prevents the goals. Mm -hmm. But the exciting part to me, when the Islanders hang seven, somebody is making that adjustment. Whether it be the betters out there, now they're betting Islanders overs or they're looking to that game to go over, an adjustment's getting made. So I'm thinking on the other side, once that adjustment gets made, so this whole week for me looking at hockey – I'm looking at unders. Anything six or six and a half, I'm looking at the under on those games. Even if it's top-scoring teams, six goals in hockey just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for the adjustment, and I'm looking to take the advantage on the other side.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's look at Anaheim at New York Islanders. The Islanders are out of it, but Anaheim's chasing four points, can still make the playoffs, I think. They're out but of they it, too. I think they too. just played recently. They were in Anaheim, and the Islanders beat them four to nothing. Their last three games, they've got 15 goals in three games, Wes. That'll get your team totals over, huh? And then we got. The Nets are hosting the Knicks. They just crushed Philly Brooklyn. How did they crush Philly's that bad, Errol? James
2: Harden had a terrible game. 3 for 17. He was horrible in the game. And James Harden plays a big part now because it takes a little bit of pressure off of Joel Embiid. It also takes the ball out of a lot of players' hands like Harris. I think when you look at the Brooklyn Nets, the Brooklyn Nets wanted to make a statement trailing behind the Philadelphia 76ers. Ben Simmons was sitting on the bench with his Louis Vuitton jersey. He should be back the last week of basketball before the playoffs. And everybody thinks he's going to boost up the Knicks. I disagree. I think he's got to fall in. It's going to take a little while for him to figure out how this team plays, and I think it will affect them moving into the playoffs, especially if they're playing in the playing game. Right now, Philadelphia is a borderline playing team, or they're going to get the fourth seed. I think the 76ers still have to figure out who's the number one guy when it comes to scoring, and who's the number two guy. I think it's Joel Embiid. they got to keep the ball out of James Harden's hands, especially in big games, because James Harden hasn't been a big game player. You saw that against the Brooklyn Nets in Philadelphia, too. So... Everybody keeps saying now, there's no way in hell the 76ers are beating Brooklyn. Why? Because of one game? If they ever meet in the playoffs, it's a seven-game series.
1: That's a real important thing you brought up because this is the time of year when you're talking about seasons that are ending, so whether it's the college basketball conference tournaments or the NBA playoffs or the NHL playoffs, because some of those teams that we rode all year by betting against them, they don't make the playoffs, so you've got to find somebody else to bet against
0: We talk about that every season. We talk about that with hockey. We talk about that with basketball. We're a couple weeks away from really needing to pay attention to those landlocked teams that the difference between a four and a five seed doesn't really mean much. The teams that are secure in number one, it becomes a challenging time. You get into the playoffs, then we can look at value in series and things like that. But the landlocked teams are very difficult to bet with. The fringe teams, those are the guys I want. I want the teams that are 9, 10, but got a shot at just Mm. sneaking in. Those are the teams you The Lakers.
2: LeBron James Lakers who by the way LeBron James is very close to be 30 10 and 10 which he'd be the first player in NBA history to do that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player ever to play the game you can't even compare LeBron James Kobe Bryant or anybody to him what LeBron James has done in the last I would say 15 years has been absolutely remarkable for all that pressure and all the places that he has taken a jump to from Miami where everybody took shots at him and they were burning his jersey to go back to Cleveland and win a championship and then jump to LA and win a championship it's pretty Pretty remarkable. Say whatever you want. He picks his teams. He builds his team. He is a remarkable player because all the pressure and everything that was outlined on him to be the player that he is, he's turned out to be even better. It's remarkable when you see what this guy has done year in and year out. And people have been taking shots on him no matter what, politically, socially, whatever he says on social media, it's just a joke. But as a player, you cannot mock this guy. You want to compare him to Kobe Bryant, that Kobe Bryant's better. I think it's a joke. He's in a different place. It goes Jordan and everybody else. And now I think it's Jordan, LeBron, and everybody else.
5: The best thing that could have happened to this guy was that he lost that final against Dallas. The way he lost it, all the flack that he got from the media that he wasn't taking shots at the end, he was avoiding the ball. I think he took that personal, and I agree with you, dude. He's one of the greatest.
0: His consecutive run of just making it to the finals, I think the only thing in sports that you could compare it to is the amount of times Brady's played in a Super Bowl. And he did it over three teams with those runs.
1: We're talking about fringe teams, and there's no sport better than for fringe teams in soccer. Because what they do is if you're at the bottom, they kick you out. They kick you out of the league and you go down. Yeah, you get relegated
5: team. to second division and you might not even ever come back.
1: Talk about pressure there, right? It's not that you don't make the playoffs. You get kicked out of the league. Boy, if we did that with the NFL, we're in Jacksonville we'll be playing.
2: no you know what's cool about soccer? At the end of the season, if, if your team is not in the playoffs and another team needs you, you can actually jump ship and go and play for that team. How many sports yeah. that you could do that. Brudal. You could just it's crazy. Players like Ronaldo leave a team in the at the end of the season because his team's not going anywhere. It goes to a playoff team and he wins. It's absolutely crazy. That's what I think is remarkable about European football from any other sport.
1: One last game I want to talk about, a game that's on when we get off the air, the Act 12 championship game. UCLA at Arizona, both of those teams have made us some money this year, Wes.
0: They have, and I will never get over the sting of what UCLA did to us last year when we were on the other side of them. So, I will have a hard time betting against them, especially when there's points to be taken.
1: Well, remember, they were the first four and they made it to the final four. I don't think any team had ever done that. No,
0: and you said so some things that weren't very nice about the Pac 12 in general. I believe there was an apology letter directed yeah, to wrote somebody an very
1: important to the Pac 12 commissioner. They embarrassed me every bracket I got to, I wrote them off, and they just kept winning. But here's, you some, here's an some apology else. letter to Bill Walton, too. I saw Bill Walton last night on that game. Let me tell you, Bill Walton has still got some Grateful Dead inside him. I don't know how many milligrams of Grateful Dead he had inside him, but he still has some inside him. So UCLA has won eight of nine, they're seven to two against the spread in that time. And they've scored 66 and nine of those 10. Arizona is on a 14 and one run. They lost to Colorado. Before that, they didn't lose until they lost to UCLA, and they got whacked at the Bruins. Got beat by almost 20. Against the spread, they're four and five, but they're seven and one over, and they've scored seven plus in 13 and 14. I cashed with the UCLA in the team totals on the over. I like the points here, but my play is going to be more with the team totals, overs, and overs. I love overs, guys. Like, I'm a dad. I get to root for all the kids. Yay, yay. No yeah. such
5: thing as defense, Chad. No such thing as defense. That's good, baby. <laughs> Not anymore.
1: Don't say that to Aaron Donald, or what he did in the fourth quarter
2: against the Bengals in the Super
3: Bowl. <laughs> Hector, if there's no such thing as defense, Chad, would bet Iowa every time.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's Oh.
1: Virginia baby
2: Have no, Virginia is, is, is no such thing as offense You'd never want to bet Virginia if you like overs, Chaz Woo. They
1: don't even break a hundred
2: Well, 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 I, I really appreciate you guys Moneyline Mania, these guys are the best Chaz, Hector, Blackhawk West These guys are the best of the best It's amazing when you talk to all these different handicappers and A lot of these guys, they put a lot of money on different aspects of the parlays and points and all that other stuff, but these guys they give you an understanding on how to play and how to make a bet where you can make money and not lose as much money when it comes to sports betting so i I think it's amazing and i really appreciate you guys joining us you want to make money you listen to Moneyline mania every single week on the weekend crunch one of the best betting segments when it comes to sports media out there so i really appreciate you guys Chaz hector and Mr. Blackhawk West. Yeah, always be guys.
5: Arriba las chivas. Stay
2: cashing, guys. Sports betting weekly, Moneyline Mania. Some of the smartest people when it comes to handicapping. And they help you. They explain to you guys. They tell you why to make those bets. Why you take the points in the first half. That's why we give you guys an opportunity to listen to this segment so you learn a little bit about betting. When we come back, we will get into the lockout. There is no lockout anymore. Baseball is right around the corner. 162 games. Spring training in the next Couple of weeks. Why are you not happy when it comes to fantasy baseball and all the baseball conversation when we come back here on The Weekend Crunch? We are back. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host. Speedy PD. Remember you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7pm to 9pm. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I am actually feeling a lot better than I was last week. I barely could speak. It's very congested. It's slowly but surely going away. I know a lot of people coming down with all the different viruses and not feeling healthy, but I'm happy I'm feeling better and that my voice is clear and here to entertain all you guys. I want to get into this baseball lockout and I was very surprised when I heard baseball has come to an agreement and the lockout is over and that there will be 162 games. Now, I say a lot of things about Rob Manfred. I think the guy's an idiot. I think he's the worst commissioner in sports and that's crazy to say when you have Roger Goodell, Gary Bettman and even Adam Silver who lets LeBron James run the show. Rob Manfred needed to get this done. He needed to find a solution. I guess he wins some brownie points from this because a lot of baseball fans wanted to see 162 games, including the New York fans. The Mets fans wanted to see at least 30 games of Max Scherzer. They spent a lot of money in the offseason to land a big-time pitcher, Jacob deGrom, and Max Scherzer how could you not be excited to see what the Mets could do this year? But also, there's not going to be a shift. A DH added to the National League, which absolutely helps some of these guys like Joey Votto, who could push his career a little bit longer, because a lot of people thought that Joey Votto would have to go into the American League as he gets older, because right. he might not play first base, might not be able to play first base anymore. And even Pete Alonso, who's not what you call a great first baseman, you could put him in the DH position and maybe go after a star first baseman, a.k.a. somebody over there with the Braves that we're hearing.
3: So the in-game ones you mentioned, they're banning the shift. Formalities of it is still to be determined. DH is going to be universal to both the American and the National League now. And the seven-inning doubleheaders is now gone. The runner on second rule is now gone Thank
2: God. as well. So the
3: three-batter minimum is the only one that is still in place. In terms of the other ones, the minimum salary is going to go progressively up from 2022 to 700000 to up to 780000
2: How about the minor league players? Are they making more money?
3: Yes. Their formalities are not in place yet, but they're going to make more money depending, I think, on what this uh, minimum salary is going to work out. Different players going to come up accordingly to what their top prospect level and how ready they are. Uh, Competitive balance tax threshold will go up from $230 million this year to $244 million. Hmm. There's going to be a pre-arbitration bonus pool which will benefit a lot of the young players that develop quickly even if they aren't labeled as quote-unquote top prospects. This would have benefited guys like Corbin Burns, Randy Orosarina, and Jonathan India. So $50 million will be distributed to top 100 players based on award and statistical performances. That's nice. There will be a draft lottery for the top six selections which will prevent teams from tanking international draft 20 plus rounds and
2: signing bonuses would be guaranteed 20 plus rounds for international players a minimum amount of players that could play in a major league you can have 20 rounds of international and 20 rounds of regular draft that's crazy that's 40 rounds yeah.
3: every year contract for arbitration eligible players are guaranteed now which is good top prospects who have finished first or second rookie of the year voting will receive a full year of service which helps somebody like Pete Alonso too that could have lost service time and show hey Otani if they didn't go through with this uh, clubs promoting top prospects will be eligible Will receive draft picks from award based things, top three a rookie of the year or top five in MVP Cy Young, and a twelve team playoffs this season. So it'll be like the old NFL format. Top two teams get a bye and then three plays six plus four plays five.
2: I didn't like that the top Two teams in each division could pick teams that they want to play. Yeah, that that would have been dumb. That's ridiculous. I mean, I I like the rules. I still don't like twelve teams making the playoffs. They were trying to get fourteen. Yeah, that I think would have been too much. I don't really have a problem with
3: twelve. I fourteen would have been too much because then you would have had a bunch of sub five hundred teams in the playoffs. But I think six teams, like in the NFL, I think was good. Top two teams. It also will reward regular season performance too, rather than
2: having like all these guys do innings limits and stuff like that. I, I don't like it because even with the top two teams, if they're sitting out for a significant amount of time. Time, they can get cold. I don't think that benefits any of the top teams. They've worked so hard to win their divisions and be the two top teams in the American League and the National League and then all of a sudden they don't play for like a week, week and a half and then they step on the field and they're completely cold. So I don't like that. How many times have you seen an American League or a National League team number one seed win the whole thing in the last couple of years? It's very rare.
3: It's a great dilemma that you're always going to have with a bye. Rest versus rust. Is it going to matter more? And it'll think, be interesting to see in a larger sample. It'll be in a larger sample, you'll have to judge how teams manage it, especially now with more micromanaging with the pitchers, especially with bullpens, with openers, too.
2: When you talk about the New York teams over here, I was very surprised. Now that the lockout's over, you're seeing some teams pick up players. Rendon gets picked up. San Francisco picks him up. I thought the Yankees were absolutely gunning for him. Well, they lost out on Rendon, a left-handed pitcher that would fit very well in the American League. Now where do the Yankees go? Do they go after Carlos Correa? There is stories coming out that he wants to be a Yankee. He grew up a Rodriguez fan. Are the Yankees willing to give him $250 Because I don't think they're going to give him three hundred. I don't think no. a team's going to give him three hundred, especially with some of these players that they got before the lockout. But right. Correa's arguably the best shortstop in baseball. And the fact that some of these other guys have gotten $300 million, I'm sure he's going to have a complaint about it. I don't think there's any team that's going to force-feed a $300 million contract, including the Yankees, when they're paying Stanton a lot of money. They're going to have to pay Aaron Judge very, very soon, too, unless they decide to trade him and bring in somebody. Right. We talk about the national superstar over then maybe the yankees are mm-hmm trying to go after Juan Soto. So there is stories coming out that he grew up a Yankee fan and that he would love to come play in New York. They need to add relief pitching. There's a ton of relief pitchers that are available right now. Brian Cashman has got to jump on this because there are other teams already making moves and doing everything they can to get the players and filling in their rosters. And I don't think the Yankees are a championship built team yet.
3: You're right on Correa. I I don't think he's going to get $300 million from a contending team. Now, if it's a team that overpays like the Rangers did for Corey Seager, maybe, but they might be a contending team this year. They need a lot of depth on that team. They, that, and pitching too, but the yeah, roster pretty damn good. It's better than their record showed last year, but they're still in the rebuilding phase, where it would take kind of a surprise type thing, like Seattle last year, for them to do it.
2: Like Boston, Nobody maybe, thought- but
3: they at least had some core pieces. Like I, the Rangers, I don't really know if they have enough of those. But nevertheless, it'll take that kind of team to pay Correa that kind of money. I don't think a contending team will pay Correa three hundred million dollars. Now that's the dilemma with Correa. Now the Astros obviously won a championship, but they cheated. So does Correa want to feel like, oh, I want to go win a real championship without having to feel like cheated, or does he want to just chase the money. The Cubs were another team that was rumored for them, but they just went after Angelton Simmons now. So yeah. does that make the Yankees now elevated they're more? They're the favorites.
2: Because the Yankees are the favorites, the Yankees might not have to pay a boatload of money because uh-huh. nobody's going to line up and pay Correa right now, and Correa's going to want to play. The Yankees could actually probably give them a five-year deal close to 200 instead of spending an extra $100 million. Does, they could decide what they're going to do with Volpe. Or do they move him to shortstop? Do they trade Gleyper Torres? Do yeah. they trade Volpe? Do they p- trade Pereza? They've got two top international prospects right now in now him and Dominguez where the Yankees are positioned they could do a lot of different things and rebuild now I'm not going to be going for Olsen yeah Yeah, you're going to have to give up a significant amount of prospects we're here in Dominguez we've heard Volpe I don't think Olson's worth that now if Freeman is dangled around maybe you decide to go with Freeman instead of going after Correa Mm -hmm. because that could solidify their infield then they could put DJ LaMayo at third base all year Glabertor is at second and then they could bring Volpe up I think one of the best infields in baseball.
3: And Freeman has said he's going to make his decision very soon, too. The Dodgers have made a push for him. The Braves, obviously, are making a push to keep him. And another rumor I heard, too, is if the Braves lose Freeman, they might trade for Matt Olson as well, to replace him at first base. You're right about the relievers, too. I think there's a lot of good, versatile relievers. Quality, yeah. And I think they could go for just depth of it. I mean, you don't need to get necessarily just pure closers type thing. There's a lot of different guys that have been efficient throughout their career. Tony Watson's a good guy that's a good lefty. who pitched very well for the Giants and the Pirates in his career. Hunter Strickland's a very good strikeout guy. does give up a lot of home runs. Yusmero Petit, another one that could stretch, give you multiple innings. Archie Bradley has been a good one throughout his career. Alex Colomay. There's a lot of good options still out there that could be in many different roles. You don't have to have him as just one type of guy. And the Yankees, I've said for a while, need to get a more versatile bullpen. You saw Roldis Chapman last year struggle in certain instances where he wasn't a closer. And same thing with the Mets with Edwin Diaz, too. Some guys are just naturally pure closers, and that's going away. That's why it's a very fluky position. Same kind of thing with Zach Britton. Probably have to eat his contract for this year. Year, and then he's gone after this year. So as a result, you need guys that can
2: pitch in versatile ways, and not just have it be just Chad Green and Jonathan Loisica. There's another team out there for Freeman, and that's the New York Mets. Why not? If you have an owner that's willing to open up his pockets, he spent seven hundred or eight hundred million in the last two years taking over for the Mets. What is it going to be? To pay another two hundred million dollars to a, a player, at top first baseman, arguably the best first baseman in baseball, where you can solidify your infield and have the best infield in baseball, and then you put Pete Alonso as your everyday designated hitter. Which with what's going on with the new CBA? It's a fourth tier. They're
3: essentially taxing teams that spend so much in one off season, which the Mets have already done already with Max Scherzer, with Marte, Kana, and Eduardo Escobar. If they go after Freddie Freeman, too, it's going to be very pricey as well. I don't think it's realistic for the Mets. I don't mind them pushing for him. He's killed the Mets his whole career, even before he became this elite first baseman that he is now. Everybody on the Braves <laughs> kills the Mets, a.k.a. Chipper Jones. I think the Mets are kind of in the same spot the Yankees are in right now. They just have to stick with pitching depth. I think their offense, when healthy, is pretty good, deeper than it usually is, especially if Brett Beatty stays and isn't get tra- doesn't get traded. He'll be coming up as a third baseman later in the year. You move Ascobar to second. Focus on, on bullpen depth and starting depth because after the top two, there's still some question marks in that rotation. Whether it's Taiwan Walker, McGill, Peterson, there's a lot of inconsistencies with that. Their bullpen has some good pieces but had a lot of down years last year. Can guys like Lugo and Trevor May bounce back too? So they might just have to go after more depth. And now you have a manager in Buck Showalter that can help utilize that.
2: When we come back, we're talking about the Nets in the beginning segment. Why not talk about them now? The 76ers and Nets and James Harden meets with his new team against his former best friend and Kevin Durant. It looked like they were back and forth with one another and they don't like each other anymore. I think there was a lot more in depth that we don't know that was going behind the scenes with the Brooklyn Nets. And we'll get into the Knicks and we'll get into some hockey as well when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back. This is the Weekend Crunch. I am the host. Big Easy, Errol Marks and my co-host, Little S, Speedy Petey. Remember, can our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time. Only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. I want to get into a little basketball, and going into this game, my friend Eric Martini, he's so adamant about this Brooklyn Nets team that they're much better than they were after they traded James Harden. He keeps talking about Steph Curry. This isn't Steph Curry, okay? He is a better defender. He's also a better defender than James Harden, who isn't better oh, yeah. than James That's Harden. The same, but the fact is... Seth Curry isn't James Harden. Ben Simmons isn't James Harden. Kevin Durant, obviously, is better, and and Kyrie Irving is better. And and even this game that just passed, this is one game. Now, did James Harden play well? James Harden has seemed to, when, when it comes to the big game, falling apart. Now, is this the same James Harden that's going to go into the playoffs with this 76ers team? And if he plays like that, uh, 76ers are going to go one and done. James Harden is just have to be mediocre and efficient. Give them 20 to 22 points and let be take over the game and let him be the guy that is the superstar and this team could win. I don't know why James Harden in the big game he can't play at the top level and when he plays the crappy teams or he plays the Knicks, he scores 40 or 50 points. James Harden's just under pressure. He's He's not the type of player. Now, Kevin Durant has been. Even Kyrie Irvin has been a very good playoff player. He's been the guy, the go-to guy uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers when LeBron was there. I know a lot of people are looking at this game and saying there's no way in hell the 76ers could beat the Brooklyn Nets. It is a regular season game. There's a lot of basketball left. And before the playoffs, I don't know if they're even going to meet each other until either the second or even the Eastern Conference Championship. To sit here and say that the 76ers can't beat the Brooklyn Nets in a seven-game series is ridiculous. The Nets are going to have trouble if they end up being a play-in team.
3: If there's extra wear and tear for the Nets that's going to be very hard. I don't know if I still trust either team's playoff identity, because James Harden, he gets rattled, and then he tries to shoot himself out of games, which is shoot teams out of games, too. And even Embiid has been streaky throughout his career in the playoffs. Now, the Sixers do have a little more depth than they did in previous years, too, where you have guys like Tyrese Maxey and Furkin Korkmaz, Sheik Milton guys off the bench that have played well. Doc Rivers is obviously a better coach than Brett Brown, but... Still, Doc Rivers has had his playoff woes, too, with the Clippers. So I still don't know if I trust either one of them. But if it comes to a playoff series, if the Nets are still a playoff team, it probably would end up being the Sixers I would trust. I still don't trust either one of them. I would favor Miami or Milwaukee a little more than those two teams. But, yeah, they could definitely still beat the Nets.
2: I believe that James Harden's going to go back into the next game, and he's going to have a better appearance. Now, th- this team is going to have to play a little bit better. I I, th- I still think the 76ers have the better better team, the more depth, especially with some of the different players that they have, but only time will tell and the best Kevin Durant is better than any player on both rosters. So yeah. Kevin Durant, to me, when he's 100% healthy, he's a top three player, a top two player in the NBA. And before he got hurt, he was he was the MVP. As far as the Knicks are concerned, well, they play so well in the first three quarters of every single game. Mostly every single game, they're competitive all the way into the fourth quarter. You have guys like Julius Randle, certain other players. I mean, not RJ, and I'm not going to throw RJ Barrett under the bus because RJ has grown. He really has grown this year as a good player. And and I think you know another year, two years under his belt, I think he's going to be a special player, but Julius Randle has been nothing but a cancer to this team. This team has been horrendous. They have to figure out what they're doing with Julius Randle in the offseason because he does not fit this roster. And I've said this before. They gave him the contract. I know they gave him a a, a working contract. How could the Knicks sit in the offseason saying that Julius Randle is the guy? He's the guy that makes sense. He's the guy that's going to help the Knicks get to that next essence of where they should be, and that's an Eastern Conference championship. And Tom Thibodeau, as much as I love Tom, I don't know if he's the guy. They've fallen apart this year. I I think he's worn them out. And I just think some of the players just don't fit the culture of what the the young players don't fit his culture of the way he coaches. So I think the Knicks have a lot of decisions to make in the offseason. I know Tom Thibodeau was coach of the year last year. To fall off the way they did from a fourth seed all the way to a 12th or 13th seed in the Eastern Conference and not make the playoffs and they're... They went from a top-five defense to 21st in in defense all around the league. You fall 15 spots. With practically the same team, it makes no sense. Uh, Actually, you can't explain why this has happened. Well, when you have bad, inefficient offense, it creates... Tire
3: defense or transition plays that lead to fast break. It makes it harder for you to play defense. So same thing in football. If your defense is on the field forever, you're going to look worse even if you have talent on your defense, which the Knicks do. It's not like the Knicks are an untalented defensive team. So when your offenses look bad and guys shoot inefficiently like they have been doing this year, especially the veteran players, then it's going to make it hard for them to grow. And again, it looks kind of fluky the way they made the four seed last year. Obviously, it was kind of surprising, but still to regress to a 12 and probably not going to make the playoffs at all. is definitely surprising considering that the talent that they added, it's just surprising that these adjustments were never made by what is thought of to be not only, a, not only a good head coach in Tom Thibodeau, a good coaching staff as a whole too. When you look at some of those assistants that did well for those, that the, for those young players last year and for the growth of guys like RJ Barrett. So it's definitely surprising as a whole. I think they got to commit to the young players now, at least build, build a middle, build a foundation like a middle tier team is the Knicks kind of make themselves stuck where they have to be the flashy team just because they're in New York. And sometimes teams end up falling for that trap. A lot of time, you look at a team like the Islanders, the way they rebuilt, I know they're down this year, but still the way they rebuilt is they were able to get good contracts, build the team with good coaching and a great GM in Lou Lamorello. And they didn't, uh, except for the bad contracts they sold on the team, they didn't, overpay anybody else after that. The Knicks maybe have to go with that kind of mold to try to make that thing that kind of thing work too because overspending doesn't always work like you were saying with the Mets like you were saying with the Yankees of the past and the teams like the Rangers over the years too. Just because you're in New York doesn't mean you have to look flashy. You look at the Nets. They're probably going to lose this big three as a result now too and uh, two, 10 years later.
2: You just mentioned hockey and it's not crazy to say that the Islanders could make a run and, and try to sneak into the playoffs but I think they're just too far behind. 22 games left if- behind. Boston I think is the final position Washington? Washington, right now. What, what do they have? How many points? Seventy-four
3: posts? points, and the Islanders have fifty-four. So I mean, they're yeah, twenty. That's highly unlikely. Yeah,
2: highly unlikely the Islanders are making the playoffs. Okay, they can win out all their games, and and what the Islanders need to do is they have to decide what they're doing in the offseason, How they're going to bring in that next superstar? They're going to have a lot of money this offseason. Mm-hmm. They are. They're going to be able to bring in a big guy, a big player to play with Barzell. That's something they've been lacking all season long. And COVID nineteen definitely affected the Islanders. Not having a home game uh, throughout. About the first month of the season or first six weeks of the season has affected the Islanders. So, I listen, I, I know a lot of Islander fans are going to take a step back and look. They, they're upset that the Rangers are going to make it and the Islanders are going to make it. The last two years, the Islanders have been an efficient team and have been one of the best teams in the league. And a lot of people picked the Islanders to win the Stanley Cup this year. The Islanders just need to take a step back. They 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 have still a good roster of players that will be ready for next year. A lot of them are under contract still. What they need to do at the trade deadline, they're going to have to decide on what uh, how this works. Uh, it, do, they, do they trade Josh Bailey, who's had a, a terrible season? Okay, He has six goals this season. They need to get rid of certain pieces. Clutterbuck, uh, they, if they're not bringing him back, Trade him. Maybe trade him now. And if you want to bring him back in the offseason for a cheaper price, if he wants to come back, do that. But there are pieces. Paul Mary, who's not played well for the Islanders, uh, he's played better now that he's played with Parisi and Paul, you know, and played with Barzell. I, I mean, I was very surprised that uh, it's taken, you know, the coaching staff and Barry Trotz uh, a, a time to figure out. Hey, you know what? These rosters, these these lines aren't working. Let's shift them. Uh, as soon as they did that, they're scoring more goals and they're winning more games. So, I, I think this team is lacking offense. They need to find offense. Uh, and and I, I think that in the off season, it's not just one player they should bring in. They should bring in a superstar player to play with Barzell, and bring in another efficient offensive player where you can get somewhere, you know, at a good cost price for five or six million. And, and, and a year, and then and, and now, solidify this team offensively. Something they've been lacking all year. Sorokin has been sensational. Yes. He really has been. There's nothing you could say about Sorokin. I know everybody keeps talking about how great Sorokin. When your team, your whole team is playing well, the goalie's going to play well, and right. he's got. Right now, the Rangers are anything they do is is turned to gold, and that has a lot to do with the new coaching. And teams don't know how they play. Next year is going to be different. The Rangers are going to have more pressure on them because teams are going to expect them to be good. And if they don't show up next year, uh, you know, teams like the Islanders that are going to be better next year, Philadelphia, which I believe will be better next year with some of the young young uh, talent that they have in their farm system. There's a lot of teams that could absolutely grow to be back you know, on the top of the, you know, the, the Eastern conference. So, and and the Rangers have been sensational. There's nothing they have done wrong this year. Their goaltender has a very good chance of winning Vinci in a trophy this year. Uh, the, you know, what their young, you know, defenseman is doing right now. And Mm -hmm. he's been unbelievable. And right now he's, he's, he has a chance to win a back-to-back Norris trophies. And I don't think there's a Ranger that's ever done that before. So, I mean, Fox has been sensational And, and, say whatever you want. John Davidson gave him a gift before he left. Yes. You know, he he, he got him a defenseman that's become a superstar defenseman, one of the best, more, more talented defensemen in the NHL right You
3: mentioned Clutterbuck. I think that's the one that's been rumored the most a yes. lot recently. Nashville's expressed interest. Colorado, who just traded for Devon Taves last offseason. They've expressed interest. And also, the Florida Panthers have expressed interest. Three teams that are looking to get some more toughness on that team and are willing to take on that kind of money. And then the other it's one... only that's, one year
2: left on his contract. Right.
3: that Which is not a and I think that scenario, what you said, is going to happen. I feel like it could happen, too, where he they get traded and he comes back for a million dollars or something like that. Like, yeah. something cheap. And then the other one, too, is Semyon Varlamov. Because Sorokin's played so well, he's locked in as the starter. Varlamov's been dealing with a lot, lot of teams have been interested. Yeah. A lot of teams have Edmonton. been interested in, in them. Edmonton's a fringe team that could definitely could go after them. They're, they're right now the first team out in the Western Conference, so that's definitely an option. We've heard the Penguins have had interest in goalie. I was talking about Vegas last week. Robin Leonard, after I said he came back, he just got hurt again, so now they they might be back in the market for a goaltender, too. The Kings, another team that could be interesting to look at a goalie, too, because Jonathan Quick's been in and out with injuries as well. If they feel like they can contend, it could definitely be an option for them, too.
2: Even I t- expect more, too. I, I don't th- expect two players to on the dish trade. I could see Lou Amarillo trying to shed contracts, and, and if not shed, bring in another player. Maybe they can get a trade where they could bring in an offensive player that fits for next year under contract. Right. So
3: even a team like Nashville too, even though Soros is a very good goalie could use a better backup too, that could help out. So they don't wear him out like they wore a pecorine at certain points in his career too. So there's going to be options of teams that have that kind of money to make that kind of thing work. As far as the Rangers are concerned, one of the trade targets I wanted for them was Joe Pavelski. He just got extended by Dallas. So it seems like they'll trade him unless they extend him to trade him, but still it seems unlikely. So the team I'm looking at to trade with is possibly with Winnipeg. There are a lot of their players have been dangled. Mark Shifley, uh, Kyle Connor. Andrew Kopp's another guy that's a good Dubois faceoff guy. too. Yeah. A lot, there's a lot of I guys. I don't
2: think they're going
3: to get him. I, I don't think, again, I'm just getting targets He's for the Rangers. He's a guy Rangers. that the
2: Islanders should definitely look at. Yeah,
3: there's, there's definitely some targets for because the, the Rangers definitely need center depth in the worst way. Still bad face-off team. That's going to be an issue that they're going to look at. And Winnipeg has all that depth. They, they need defense. They need they, they need young young players because they're in a lot of bad contracts right I now. I heard Kapokako could be available to trade. And that's I also I heard thought. and this is the main piece that they're looking to trade is Vitaly Kratsov, who's their first round pick three years ago, mm-hmm. and he hasn't played at all for the Rangers yet. So th- that's going to probably be the main one they're looking at, but yes, I would not rule out Kako either as being a piece of that kind of trade, especially with a team like Winnipeg who could use that kind of player as well. If the Rangers want to go after some center depth too, and there's going to be obviously some teams, other teams in the Western Conference too, Anaheim, San Jose, that have a lot of veterans on their
2: roster they could trade. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, i my go host, Speedy, PD. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern. Tom Olley on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's been a great show. I'd like to thank Lance Sanderson and, and obviously Moneyline Mania and all the people that listen to our show throughout the week. It's, it's uh, to me... Uh, everything that we're doing here is to be the voice of Long Island sports and all those guys when it comes to WFA and ESPN you should take a flyer on us. we're not trying to compete with you, but we we respect what you guys do and we just try to bring a different outlook to sports. Speedy are you ready?
3: Yes, it is time for crunch time
0: it's time for crunch time
3: So we got all college basketball today a quick one we got a bracket tomorrow. That could be many different things. So we'll start with the final four teams of last year, Gonzaga, Baylor, Houston, and UCLA. Buy or sell? None of them from there will make the final four from last year.
2: I say sell. I, I think at least one of them are going to make it. Gonzaga is definitely going to be a favorite to make it again. On, on, Baylor's another dangerous team, too. They could definitely get, get in. They're a good defensive team. They're very long and very athletic. So... Um, I think one of those guys will make it, so I'm going to sell
3: it. I'm going to buy it because Baylor did lose a lot of talent. It's still of good depth on that team. A lot of the bench players are now starters that did well on their championship team last year. Gonzaga, all the pressure that they have, I think they'll find a way to crumble maybe Sweet 16 or Elite 8. I actually think Houston actually has the best chance. They have a lot of balance on that team and a lot of experience, but they're going to be a lower seed. They're right now projected to be a 5, so I don't know if they're going to make it like a 5 if they were to be a 2. And UCLA, it's always this great dilemma. Yeah, they made the Final Four last year as an underdog, as an 11 seed, but sometimes when you see teams go in as a, more of a favorite, they don't do as well. Even a, a good team as good as Michigan State, who made the Final Four as a 7 seed in 2015, and then crumbled in the first round as a 2 seed in 2016. So I'm actually going to buy it. All right, we will see at least one fifteen two, 15-2, one 14-3, and one thirteen four 4 upsets.
2: I'm going to buy that. I, I think there's going to be a lot of upsets this, this year because it's so open. This is a very open year where a surprise team can make it to the Final Four and definitely to Sweet 16, so I'm going to buy it.
3: I'm going to sell it. I don't know about a 15-2. I think there's a lot of strong two-seeds this year, and a lot of the 15 teams are very inexperienced teams. Colgate is the only one that maybe in the right matchup could do it, but I also think they could be elevated to a 14-seed, so I am going to sell it. Three conference finals have number one seeds out. We already saw Auburn lose, Illinois, and in the Big East Providence. So buy or sell. Either Arizona, Kansas, or Duke will lose in the conference final as well.
2: Uh, I'm going to sell that. I think all three teams are going to win. Uh, they, they have absolutely winning, winnable games in the conference finals. And I, I think when you look at the, the three teams that you just mentioned, including Duke, uh, they have a lot to prove going into the tournament with Coach K's final year in the tournament. So I'm going to buy that.
3: I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna s- sell that. To I'm gonna. I am gonna buy it. I. I think. I think Texas Tech absolutely has a chance to beat Kansas. They have a lot of good size on the team. You're talking about big teams that Duke might have stru- trouble with. They don't have a player six uh, smaller than six foot six. And Kansas is in that same kind of way, very guard oriented team. Arizona, I also think, is very kind of inexperienced. So I think it's the only one that is gonna be is Duke. I think they'll beat Virginia Tech, but that's it. All right. So as of today, according to these bracketology on CBSSports.com, Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor, and Kentucky are the number one seeds. Buy or sell. At least two. of them will not be in the bracket tomorrow.
2: Um, I'm gonna sell it. I, I think they're they're all gonna be in the bracket. Uh, they're all talented teams. And, and and listen, again, we don't know how it's gonna fall or what's gonna fall in the conference championships. I I, I think all of the, all four teams are respectable teams. So I'm going to buy
3: it. I'm gonna sell it. I think I think. Arizona, if they win the Pac-12, will still be safe. You also have to trust in another conference one to be able to get it up. And Duke, even beating Virginia Tech, I don't even know if that's a statement win to get them up to a number two seat. And Purdue, they're going to be playing one of these underdogs in the Big Ten. So I do think Arizona, even if they do lose, will hang on to that number one seat. If Kansas wins the Big 12, they'll knock out Baylor, but that's the only team I can see doing it. Kentucky will stay one, and obviously Gonzaga will stay one, so I'm going to sell it. All right, one more. Uh, One guy that might have coached his last game, Jim Boeheim, with Syracuse as well. Obviously, Coach K retired at the end of the year that he loses to Duke in his potentially final game. No announcement yet, but by or sell, Jim beham will retire at the end of the season. So,
2: I I think he's going to make his like his run like like Coach K is and what Coach K has done this year. He gives a whole year where the Syracuse fans gets an opportunity to go and check out Jimmy at Bayheim for the final season and get to go see home games. So I'm going to sell it.
3: I'm going to sell it too. I think one more year. I think he's he not want to go out on a losing season like this. They're going to try one more year. They want to make the tournament in that year. I can't see him doing it this year. Even with all the things that have gone on uh, with his wife, getting uh, struck in the car accident and uh, his son graduating this year as well. I think that'll end up happening. So I think he goes one more year as well.
2: All right, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Thank you to Lance Sanderson and and obviously Moneyline Mania, Chaz and the crew, Hector and Money. Uh- uh, Black Hawk West, money line mess, uh, many money line West. Okay, uh, I got it right that time. But uh, thank you to them for joining us. Thank you to all the fans that listen to us throughout the week. We really appreciate everything 103.9 has done for us. Uh, thank you to Mike C- Sicelli, right? Sicelli Paselli, Paselli. Uh, for jo- you know, obviously he's been our producer for the last uh, year and a half. He He's gone on to bigger and better things, so thank you. And to our new – who's our new producer? Mike Scudero is his name. Mike Scudero. uh, Thank you, Mike, uh, for producing our show tonight. And for many, many more times, you're going to produce our show. Thank you to all the fans. Keep listening to us. We'll be back next week with new fans – well, new – I guess new guests, new fans, and obviously new picks to Moneyline Mania. So keep listening to us as we will return next Saturday at 7 p.m. Good night, everybody.